Texas 512 is part of the Texas Podcast Network, the conversations changing the world. Brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent the views of the host and not the University of Texas at Austin. This is Sam Torres, Texas Longhorn fan, native Austinite, admissions counselor, and your host with the most. And this is Texas 512. All right, welcome back to another episode of Texas 512. And really, honestly, welcome back because we actually have a returning guest. So y'all have probably only seen one returning guest. That was Victor, one of our Texas student recruiters. But this is the first time that we've had one of our professional staff come back and talk to us here on the podcast again. So I'm very happy to have Dr. Tiffany Lewis here. But Dr. Lewis, would you mind telling our listeners or reminding them who you are and what you do here at UT Austin? Yes. Um, as Sam has already stated, I'm Tiffany Lewis. And what I do at UT is I get the pleasure of managing the Longhorn Center for Academic Equity, which is a unit within the Division of Diversity and Community Engagement. The last time I was on the podcast, we were talking about the Fearless Leadership Institute. I was with my colleague and friend, Thais Moore, and we're the founders of that particular program. And so I'm happy to be back and to talk about yet another one of our programs that we have in the center. And yeah, so that's who I am and what I do. Super excited to have you back. And I think I, I honestly feel a little bit more like, like kind of easy breezy because I've had you on before. Because yeah. usually whenever, every time we do a podcast, it's usually a new guest. And so I'm always like, oh God, like, I don't know how they are. I don't know what their personality is like. I don't know if they're going to like me. Uh, I, I mean, I don't even know if you like me. So, but. Of course, of course. This is like, you know, I feel like I'm with, I'm with you. This is my second time. So it feels a little like home. I'm a little bit more at ease and a little bit more comfortable. So yeah, happy to be here. And yeah, that's funny. Usually like our guests are like, well, I'm nervous because I've never done a podcast before. I'm like, there's like no reason to be nervous. Like I'm more nervous that anyway, it's usually just a competition of who's more nervous, right? But yeah, no, this is going to be great. So as usual, of course, you're you're familiar with the how this show usually goes. So really quickly, we're going to go to a break. And whenever we get back, let's break the ice again. Right. And we are back. So this first fun question that I have for you actually ooh, kind of affects me a little bit. Well, kind of and kind of not. But let's say hypothetically that coffee just completely disappeared from the world. It doesn't exist anymore. Like it's just gone. There's no coffee. There's no trace of it. How do you think the world would react? Well, it'd be chaos, to, to put it <laughs> nicely, I think. I, I myself am not a coffee drinker, so I wouldn't miss it that much. But I have a ton of friends and family and close associates that I know would be a wreck without coffee. And so the best way to describe that would probably be 
Uh, it'd be a chaotic, how about this? It'd be a bit of a chaotic, but also a space where people are just kind of like dragging, right? They're just like, please get away from me. But chaotic in the sense that a lot of things probably wouldn't be getting done. No, for sure. Productivity would be way down. And I was actually going to ask you how you would react, but if you're not much of a coffee drinker, then I guess it wouldn't really affect you very much. No, not coffee. I mean, you know, I enjoy an occasional uh, tea. I love hot tea. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but no, not a big coffee drinker. What about caffeine in general? Like, well, besides like tea and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. I need some caffeine. Yeah. Tea. I try to cut down on the soft drinks, but you know, I'm weak from time to time. And I'm like, you know, give me that Dr. Pepper or that Coke or whatever. I couldn't imagine my life. But, you know, I think I like the idea of like being able to grab it when I want it. And if it were gone, if caffeine were gone, um, it would be so great. Yeah, no, I know some of my listeners know at this point, and I swear I bring this up every episode at this point, that I'm like a big energy drink guy. And so, and I know, I know I've gotten this spiel before. I had Dr. Kate Bieberdorf on and she was just like, stop drinking energy drinks. And I'm just like, I know, but like, it's just what, it's my, it's my way of getting energy. I haven't had one this morning, so I'm still trying to like wake up a bit, but, but yeah, no, if caffeine disappeared, That'd be a different story because I think I could, I would, I would survive without coffee. My family though, no, my family not at all because it, they're so weird that like, uh, some, like I'll visit my family and like after dinner, my sister's like, "Do you want a cup of coffee?" I'm like, "No." Like, are you not about to go to sleep? Like, and my brother's like over there drinking his big old mug of coffee, and I'm just like, "What are you? Do you, can you sleep at night?" Apparently, they they sleep just fine. So they just drink coffee, not even for the energy, but for the taste. I have a really good friend who recently had to kind of wean herself from caffeinated to decaf because she would get the worst caffeine headaches when she did not have her coffee. And so she was just like, I can't keep living like this. So she went ahead and tried to, you know, get herself off of the caffeine, for coffee at least. And now she's a decaf drinker because she's kind of like your family. She's like, coffee in the morning, coffee after every meal. It's crazy. I couldn't imagine doing that. Like I, I try to limit myself to like at least just one energy drink a day. Well, it depends on the size. It depends on the kind of energy drink. <laughs> because if it's like, if it's one of those like- I'm gonna save my lecture since Kate got, got you already, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> look, I, at least I do the sugar-free ones that I will always drink sugar-free energy drinks. I don't go for the super sugary ones. I know, I know they're bad. I know they have other chemicals in them and stuff, but, but to be honest, I will admit though, that I think my body is actually starting to become resistant to because I'll get energy for like 10 minutes and then I'm like tired again. And it's not a crash. It's not a crash at all. It's just like, I'm just like, okay, I'm sleepy. And I'm like yawning again. And I'm just like, all right. So <laughs> anyways, no, I can't. doctors are going to be listening to this and they're like, well, we should probably reach out. Let's move on before I get um, lectured some more about my energy drink addiction. But let's talk, let's talk hypothetically. If you were a cartoon character, who would you be and why? That's hard because I don't watch a lot of cartoons these days. But when I was young, and I'm probably going to be aging myself in this, had you, <laughs> have you ever heard of the cartoon He-Man? Yes, of course. Okay. So they, for a very short period of time, they had a female counterpart named She-Ra, I think. I think her name was She-Ra. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think. And I used to just love, I watched a lot of He-Man. And so when She-Ra came out, I was just so excited. And so I think I'd be She-Ra. And because she was just, 
you know, think about He-Man and a woman's body. She was so strong and, you know, just did not play. And I was like, I want to be like her. And so if I had to pick somebody, it'd be She-Ra. <laughs> That's a good answer. It's funny how you were like, do you know what He-Man is? I'm not that young. <laughs> I do. Okay, Sam. I don't know. You know, I just never know who I'm talking to. And, you know, you don't hear, you know how sometimes, you know, just in pop culture, you know, a lot of folks will reference like some of the old cartoons. I don't hear He-Man referenced as much as I hear about some of the others. And so I always want to know, like, you know, do people still know that that was a thing? Yeah, no, for sure. I completely understand that. And I feel our listeners, though, like it will if, you know, because it's like more targeted towards your prospective students. Right. But but if there's it's a prospective student listening, I guarantee you they're going to be like, what? <laughs> Who? <laughs> he man. I don't even know if if uh, Gen Z even watch cartoons as a kid anymore. Like it, it's a. Uh, it's a completely different generation, honestly, than whenever I grew up. And I know I seem young, but I'm not like that, that young. I'm 25. Uh, uh now, that, that is young. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that I'm old, but I'm not Gen Z yet. Like, I wouldn't say I'm Gen Z. Well, in comparison to me, that you're, you're young, okay? Dr. Lewis, you're in your prime. You weren't even born when He-Man was out. But I still knew what He-Man was. I'm I'm all with the I'm all with this. Well, I, I'm I don't know what term y'all use to be honest. I wasn't because woke is like what what the the Gen Z people say. That's not the term. Anyways, now <laughs> look I, look. Wait a minute now. I am still considered a millennial. Okay. Okay. I was born in 1981. I'll let y'all do the math. And I am still considered a millennial. Because of when I was born in, I was born in June, so the middle of 1981. And so I'm not that much older than you, but still older than you. And 25 is super young. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. I'm already, I feel like an old man sometimes, but the, I blame that on, I blame that on dance. Because like my knees are like super bad now. Uh, <laughs> so. What kind of dance are you doing? Have I not, I didn't mention this to you the last time or no, I guess not. I do, I do, uh, which I haven't done it recently because unfortunately I just haven't had the time, but I do a uh, Mexican folkloric dance and that all looks different depending on what region of Mexico you're looking at. It could be super like light, you know, waltzes or it can be like heavy, like, you know, huge steps, tap dancing, hitting those hard floors like but in in college uh we did a lot of performances on like concrete and pavement and that really wasn't good for my knees like at all because we had to wear these these boots so i don't know if you're do you know what like chelsea boots are yes so imagine a chelsea boot but the heel is is taller at at the at the toe and at the heel there's nails on them so they they put nails on the shoes so that they can make that noise so that's what i would wear in most of the dances. It was rare if we were barefoot or in huaraches or in whatever else. But yeah, like, so I did that a lot in pavement and that messed my knees up a lot. <laughs> wow. Well, I love dance. It's one of my passions. And so I'm glad to learn this about you. You still perform? I don't anymore. No, because again, like I said, I haven't had the time and I, I don't have a group to perform with. I've been meaning to like get back into it. Uh, the the last time I danced was basically whenever I, I uh, before I graduated from college, but I, I would occasionally go back to my old college group and I would give them workshops. So that was my way of like still dancing. So I would teach them entire dance routines, but I haven't done that in a while, ever since COVID, 
Like basically I did my last dance workshop was right before the pandemic. It was in February. So I didn't even get to see them perform it. So that kind of like it was bad for them. And it was also kind of sad for me because I wanted to see it on stage and like see my work, you know, being done by them. And I didn't get to see that and they didn't get to perform it. So it was like a loss loss for both of us on that. So it was a shame. And, and I've still had that craving. Like I want to get back into it, but I'm just like, well, you got to, you got to find a way to do that. I know, I really do. I really, really do. Speaking of doing fun things, my next question for you, which actually I kind of want to incorporate this to something that's currently in pop culture right now. So I don't know if you're familiar with the very popular Netflix show that is like all the craze right now, Squid Games. Have you watched that? I have not, but I have it on my list of things to watch this weekend because all of my friends are like, have you watched it? And they want to talk about it. I'm like, I can't talk about it. So yes, it is on my list of things to get into this weekend. Absolutely need to. Absolutely need to. So I won't I won't go into it, but the reason I'm I'm in I hear it's terrible. It's terrible. Like what do you mean by terrible? Well I hear it's good, but like apparently what's happening to this main character is like terrible. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> it is a pretty gruesome show. I'm not gonna lie. So if you've got a I don't know if like you've got a weak stomach or something because even I was kind of sitting there like, wow, that's messed up. <laughs> so, but it's it's a good show because it just has like good story and like the character, like, I, I don't know. I, it's, I'm not like a, a movie expert, so I can't really go into detail with all that stuff or movie or TV show expert, I should say. But the reason I was incorporating this to this question is because in the show, and again, I won't spoil anything. In the show, they incorporate a lot of like themes from like Korean children's games. So like they, they bring like they bring references of stuff that that kids used to do so like one of the first things again won't spoil it is that they do is red light green light and you're probably wondering like how is that messed up well you'll see but <laughs> i was gonna ask you moving away from the darker you know side of things what was your favorite game as a kid i was a huge jacks person jacks i love jacks and i was like the neighborhood champ and the funny part, not the funny part, but I guess the, the unexplainable part is I was so good, but I have such small hands. So people would be like, how are you getting all of the jacks? But I was quick. I practiced a lot and I just loved playing jacks. And I would always play. So I never knew how to play that. You bounce the ball. So you put all the jacks on the ground and you try to pick up as many jacks. You bounce it, pick up jacks, bounce it, pick up jacks, bounce, pick up jacks. And you try to have, have the most jacks or the little, I don't even know if they, yeah, I call them jacks. The most jacks at the end uh, of the game. And so, you know, some people, you know, they create all these fun, these weird rules about how you can only pick up, you know, two or three at a time. But I was pretty good. I could, I could round up about five or six in one, one round. And those things look kind of uncomfortable though, aren't they? They are, they are, but they take some getting used to. So, you know, I, I got pretty good at that. So I love playing jacks. I would challenge anybody in jacks. Yeah, you were destroying all the kids in your neighborhood. <laughs> destroying them. To be honest, you know, those were, I was really an outdoors little girl. Like I, I was a tomboy. So I was doing all the things the boys were doing. And so, you know, we would go, so funny. I live with my grandmother and we had like this, um, sidewalk that kind of ran in front of our house that was all kind of cracked up from the foundation shifting or from the earth shifting and we would go <laughs> this is gonna be weird we would go snake and earthworm hunting and then the person with the most snakes and or earthworms would win oh my god <laughs> not snake hunting yeah but there were like tiny little grass snakes right so what would happen is in the summertime it would be so hot 
under the concrete, it would be cool, right? So you would find all sorts of like critters under there. So we pull up the slabs and then you'd see like, you know, these little snakes and you just try to catch them. And then the earthworms, uh, my grandmother had like black dirt in front of our house. And I don't even know, it's going to be hard to understand this, but there used to be like these little black balls that the dirt would create and we would pour gasoline on them. And then all of a sudden, like five minutes later, the earthworms would start to come from the, from under the dirt. So you'd actually pick up the snakes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, you know, that's probably not a game most kids were playing, but you know, okay. all of the, <laughs> my cousins and the other guys in the neighborhood, that's what they would do. And so I got into it and I'm, I'm pretty good. So like now when my husband goes fishing or, you know, if it, my child finds some random insect, I'm not afraid to pick them up or handle them like some of my other friends <laughs> yeah no i mean i'm i was terrified of the snakes at my house because we didn't have the tiny little garden snakes it'd be like these big old rattlesnakes in my so i didn't have experience with the cute little little tiny snakes. yeah no i'm not yeah i'm not i'm not a snake yeah i don't do the big snakes <laughs> uh, we had a couple of those instances where i was like oh no but the small ones that can't hurt anything the little rat snakes i'm all game for those but the bigger ones yeah, because that was my first thought. No, no, no. That was my first thought. I was like, y'all are out hunting rattlesnakes and catching No rattlesnakes. Um, my, you know, my grandfather was so brave. We used to live across from a ditch, right? And there would be kind of like water. And so one time my moccasin was over and, and I, look, we probably were, I don't know, doing something we had no business. But we saw this moccasin and my grandfather was able to get rid of it. Yeah. And then we, yeah. We, I have a lot of snake stories, but I, yeah, I'm not... I'm not too keen on the larger snakes. I go the other way. So jacks and then see who can get the most worms slash snakes. Got it. Okay. <laughs> As a kid, I'd be playing with bricks. So I get it. Like anytime like we had some leftover bricks outside, I would just like, I'd be like, oh, great. These are my Legos. Um, oh, that is awesome. So that's like, I guess that's the most like, I get, uh, like that most outdoorsy, like get your hands dirty kind of thing that I would do. But I think like my favorite, favorite games would have to be like a tie between like the things that I do in, in school were like dodgeball, even though I sucked at it, and uh, Foursquare. I don't know if you know what that game is. What is Foursquare? No, I don't know what that one is. So I'm probably going to explain this wrong because I, I haven't played Foursquare in a long time, but basically, as the name implies, you draw, you... Wait, wait, wait. Foursquare or Foursquare? Foursquare. Foursquare. It's Foursquare. Oh, yeah. I do know what Foursquare is. I thought you were saying Foursquare. Oh, <laughs> no. Four, four squares. Got it. <laughs> yeah. The one where you like bounce the ball into there's four square. Yeah. Okay. So I don't need to explain it. I'm sure like maybe, maybe the listeners are probably like, huh? What? <laughs> Anyways. I thought you were talking about a video game. Oh no. Like, no, I was really big, really big into video games as well. I had a super Nintendo. That's what started my, my love of video games. But I was thinking more like outside things so that people don't think I'm such a nerd, but uh, anyways, last thing that I have for you, and I've, I've definitely asked this before to some of my guests. It's always just fun to hear. Um, obviously, you know, I think that this past year kind of resulted in a lot of us getting into online shopping. I know I have. I, I Athena over here has a my my dog. She has a a pup box that comes in every every month now. So she's got this little subscription that has treats and toys and stuff like that. So really cool. But it, it's definitely not something I regret. It's really great. But I know that there are some folks that have bought something that they regret. So is there anything that you have that you like 
just regret buying. I have bought so much stuff, clothes. Now I'm typically a shopper. I do like to buy clothes, but now I have all these clothes that I haven't had a chance to wear. And for some of them, they've been seasonal, so I didn't get a chance to wear them. I don't know what I was thinking, but I regret buying so much, so many clothes. I really, I was really like showing out, like doing way too much. So I have all these clothes that I, I want to donate now that I didn't get to wear, that I bought off Amazon and you know all sorts of places while I'm scrolling on like Instagram or whatever. So I think that's probably the thing that's kind of crowding my space. All these clothes that I bought that I'm not even going to get to wear that I don't even want. <laughs> you know, Amazon clothes shopping is dangerous for two reasons. One, because a lot of times you find super cheap things. And two, because you don't even know if it'll fit you. Because they, in, that's how I, that's been my experience with online shopping for clothes. And that's why I avoid it as much as possible is because they, they obviously advertise it as one size, right? But then you get it and then it's like, oh, this is like really tight, like, or, oh, it's really loose. I had that one, one time where, where I ordered a, a jacket off of Adidas. It was a windbreaker and, and I got it and I, you know, I'm a pretty big guy, but this thing was huge on me. Like the sleeves were all like, and I was just like, what the heck this is a 2X? Like, why is it so big? And so I had to return it. And then I had to wait another like month before I got the size that like worked for me. Yeah, I agree. Most of the stuff I got was not very flattering. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> and so I'm going to try to donate it and get rid of it. But yeah, that's probably, you know, I'm a just, I'm a fashion, per I love fashion. And so I definitely overdid it with the shopping. It was my way to cope with being in the house like 24 seven, especially earlier in the earlier days of the pandemic, like March, 2019 through like March, 2020. <laughs> I was like, this is like ridiculous. My husband is like, please don't order another. But it's just fun too. And that's another thing. And I feel like there's psychology that goes behind it is like getting a package is just so exciting. It's like, you see the package and you're like you want to open it and yeah it's just i don't know i get it so i could i completely understand it and i know that you're not the only one so and i leave them in the package so <laughs> so like i open it and i'm like oh this is so exciting okay put it in the pack <laughs> and it goes in the corner somewhere so it's just like i have you have a problem tiffany i had to come to come to grips with that i had a, a, a bit of a uh, shopping <laughs> addiction during the pandemic you're not the only one. I know a lot of folks got into that during this pandemic. Cause I mean, like we couldn't go into stores for the longest time. So it's all good. What about you? What did you regret buying? I don't know if I have anything. Well, okay. I've mentioned this before, I think on the podcast, but basically I know I've mentioned this multiple times and if I, I still haven't gotten any sort of like sponsorship or anything like that. I'm just kidding. I don't know if they get sponsorship, <laughs> but there's this Twitter page that I follow. It's called fat kid deals. And the constantly 24 seven, all this, this person that runs the page, his job is, is to repost stuff that's like on, on Amazon or eBay or wherever it is. And he's like 20% off or 40% off, use extra coupon code for an additional 10% off. So, and so on and so forth. So this page just literally all day is just pumping out deals and it's, it's everything appliances. It's, uh, you know, clothes, it's video games, it's toys, everything, everything you can think of. It's not niche to just one thing. It pumps out everything. So, you know, obviously we're in a pandemic. We've been using our computers a lot more and I saw a deal for a webcam. It was an HD 1080p webcam for $7. So I was just like, $7, that's nothing. So I ordered it 
I get it. And it is the faultiest thing that I have ever like had to work. It was like glitchy. Like there was like the, the footage would like, you would see like lines and stuff like that. It was grainy. And I'm just like, this is not 1080p. Like, and then I, I was just like, well, I did pay $7 for it. So I get it. But I think I still kind of regretted it because I was just like, well, that's $7 I could have used at McDonald's or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the only thing that I really regret. I know over the pandemic, I, I purchased a, uh, a Nintendo Switch, but I had had one before. I just really wanted to get one again. So I don't regret that. That was a great investment. What else have I bought? A dog. <laughs> a dog don't shop, by the way, but... But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't regret her. Uh, some days I do. Some days I do. When she has some moments, but you know, we live. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, no, that brings us to the end of, of our fun segment. So now we're just gonna go ahead and throw it to a really quick break. And whenever we get back, we're gonna talk a little bit more about this program that is starting up at UT Austin. So don't go away. Texas 512 is part of the Texas Podcast Network, the conversations changing the world. Brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent the views of the hosts and not the University of Texas at Austin. All right, and we are back. So, I mean, first things first, usually with these with these segments, I, I want to get to know a little bit more about my guests. And we've had you on before, but in case, you know, there's any new listeners or, or maybe, you know, obviously we recorded the Fearless Leadership Institute episode a while back ago, which is kind of crazy to think how quickly this year has just just flown by. It's almost 2022. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, first things first, you're Texas X, right? I am. I am a people crown. Texas X. I have a bachelor's, a master's, and my doctorate from UT. The trifecta. I'm very proud of that. The trifecta. Awesome. So what What you, let's think back whenever you were about to go into your undergrad, what was your thought process? What was like, what sealed the deal for you to just come to UT Austin? Scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. I am a, I was a student athlete. Um, you know, I was really into lots of sports, but I was actually on my way to Abilene Christian to run track. And it was a partial scholarship. But if you know anything about Abilene Christian and other privates, I still had to come out of my pockets pretty penny to attend there, even though they gave me a partial scholarship. And so I had already you know, made contact with my roommate. We had, you know, decided who was bringing what. And, you know, one day I was at school and a UT admissions counselor came into, pulled us out of class and had a meeting with us. And at the time they were promoting the Longhorn Opportunity Scholarship. And it's much like very, it's very similar to Texas Advance now, I think. But what it was is, you know, UT was having a hard time recruiting students from inner city schools. And so what they decided to do was to set aside, you know, I think it was like two or three scholarships from schools that didn't typically send students to UT. And most of these were Title I schools. And um, so you know, they were like, are you top 10%? I was like, yes. They were like, okay, fill this out. We fill out this. There are probably like eight of us, eight to 10 of us in this room. They had us fill out this special application for scholarship. And from that process, I, I believe there were two or three of us that were selected to get this scholarship of $20,000, um, which at the time was a lot of money. And it covered everything that I needed to cover um, outside of, you know, the 
my Pell Grant and this is Grant at the time. And so that kind of sealed the deal. So I came to Texas and it was a bit of a culture shock because I just was not expecting. I mean, you hear people talk about how big Texas is, but for me, you know, I was not really, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about Texas because I was too busy trying to get a track scholarship, right? To wherever, who would take me. So I hadn't done a whole lot of research. You know, I knew it was the flagship. I knew it was a big university, you know, in terms of reputation, but you know, it just kind of wasn't on my radar. So when I got to Texas, it was a huge adjustment and culture shock for me. I bet. Yeah. And so what, I mean, kind of still talking about your experience at UT Austin, because I feel like this obviously is going to tie into why you're where you're at now. So I wanted to kind of like dig a little bit deeper and learn about how you got to this point to where you're at in terms like professionally. Yeah. So the very first, as a part of LOS or Longhorn Opportunity Scholarship, we were all required to be a part of a a retention program at the time. That's what they were called. And my retention program was Gateway. But at the time, Gateway was only like a two-year program. So you could only be in it for two years. So that was my first introduction into like student success and student support work. And, you know, had it not been for those folks at the time, I don't know that I would have finished college. You know, they were really a huge support system. What a lot of people don't know about my experience as a college student is I became a single mother while I was in college. And so my mom and my grandmother, you know, you know, no surprise, they were a little disappointed. They were like, what are you doing? You need to come home, right? So because we're a very traditional family, they felt like I needed to come home so that they could help me take care of this child that I was going to have. But for me, I was, you know, so embarrassed. I didn't want to go back home and have to explain to people why I dropped out of college. So I was like determined to stay. And so when I had been talking about this with one of the my advisors through the program, they were like, okay, well, what do we need to do to help you be able to stay? And, you know, as a 19 year old, I was like, I have no clue. You know, I you know. Tr first of all, I was still, let's see, I had just finished my freshman year. And as a freshman, you know, you kind of acclimate, but you still don't know like all that you probably should know in terms of how to navigate the university. And so, you know, I didn't know the first step, like what to do. So that advisor, like, helped me get in touch with my academic health, my academic advisor, I'm sorry, not academic, my financial aid advisor, and helped me readjust my financial aid package, you know, uh, gave me other resources through for the city to be able to help me to be able to take care of myself and another person. Um, and it had not been for them going that extra step above and beyond, you know, kind of the academic um, side of UT. I don't know that I would have been able to stay. And so that experience meant a whole lot to me. Um, so when I graduated from UT, a couple things happened. I, I was a psychology major and, you know, trying to balance being a single mom and a full-time college student. My GPA wasn't great. Like I could graduate. I think I had like a 2.8 or 2.9. Um, so I went to my academic advisor and I was like, hey, you know, I really need to talk about like what's next. You know, I really want to go to graduate school. And my academic advisor, <laughs> I remember her face to this day. She was like, you are not competitive enough, your grades, your experience, you will not get into a psychology PhD program. And, you know, it was a little devastating to hear, but, you know, I didn't crawl into a corner and just like give up. I was like, okay, well, 
at the end of the day, I got to figure out what to do for me and my kiddo. So let me figure out what it is I can do. So at the time, my first job out of college was in the office of admissions. So I was an admissions counselor from 2003 to 2006. So I was, um, at the time I was, a sh there. we had what was called the share ambassadors which are basically like the gods of Texas today. And so I managed the share ambassadors, did not have a territory of like a set Texas territory. I really supported a lot of out-of-state students who wanted to come to UT. So those are the students, the folks that I kind of counseled via email and over the phone. And I also was the person to give um, admissions presentations um, at John Hargis Hall at the time. So I was kind of like the home-based person, um, but it was a wonderful experience. It gave me my first taste of what it was like to work in higher education and in, administra in administration, if you will. And so around 2006, um, the office that I was a student, you know, when I was a Gateway student, they were, they called and they're like, hey, we have this position to, you know, work in the office and be a program coordinator. And I was like, uh, yeah, because I always wanted to give back. You know, I felt like there were a lot of students that were coming in that were just like me, you know, coming in a little overwhelmed. Um, you know, that we wanted a good education, but just, just weren't, <laughs> You know, we just ha haven't given UT much thought. And when we got there, it was like, you know, we were just drowning, basically. So I wanted to make sure that I was giving back to students the same way that the office kind of gave back to me. So I felt like it was the right time to make the move that I made. So I left admissions and I went back into, at the time, the name had changed from retention services to academic enrichment services. And so I was in academic enrichment services. And at the time it was housed under the division of student affairs in the Nita student's office. And so I worked there um, and I pretty much at every level, like a program coordinator, assistant director, then a director. And then uh, about that time, let's see, hmm, from 2006, probably to about 2011, maybe, I don't know, 10 DDCE you know, was launched and we went under the DDCE umbrella. And then I stayed kind of in the same line of work, student success, student support kind of work. And now I get a chance to be the assistant vice president. I mean, it really, really makes a lot of sense how that's kind of like, it, it, I think, in my opinion, it kind of is like full circle because now these programs that you manage like are very similar to what you like utilized at UT Austin. So which now I think is a good transition to, to talk a little bit more about. So originally we were going to talk about Longhorn Link. Um, and if you'd like, you could give us like a brief overview of what that was. But then I want to talk a little bit more about this first gen equity program that you mentioned that is, is what Longhorn Link is kind of transitioning to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Longhorn Link was a federally funded TRIO program. So for those out there that are listening, TRIO programs are programs that were established with the Department of Education. And what they do is they hold these grant competitions like every five years for universities to apply for these for funding for these special programs to kind of help close the gap, if you will. Right. So Longhorn Link is a what's called a Student Support Services Program, SSS. And and it is designed to help first-generation, low-income students matriculate and graduate from college. And so we have had that program on our campus since the since 2000. So we were a 20-year program. But recently, in the last grant competition, we did not secure a renewal. And 
you know, it was a very hard pill um, to swallow, especially for the person who was writing the grant myself. But, you know, it was probably the right thing because UT is in a place now where uh, many of our students, we really don't fit the profile of needing a program like that anymore. So, for instance, what they do when they when you write a grant is you have to basically establish that there is a need. And back in the day, there definitely was a need because there weren't very many university services and other programs like we have today. We had like one program on campus. So one program couldn't serve everybody. So there were a lot of students that were floating around that needed additional support. And that was the reason why we applied for the grant. But today, in I guess since 2017, you know, the university has really done a great job of pumping um, additional resources and personnel into you know our colleges and our schools to make sure that the colleges and schools are able to take care of students who may be at risk of not finishing their degree or graduating in four years. And so with the, I guess, the launch of all these support programs across campus, there really wasn't a need for us to have Longhorn Link anymore. And so what we have done though, is we have changed our focus um, and we have started a new program called First Gen Equity. And this is a program that supports first generation students, no matter what the academic profile is. So, you know, I think sometimes the assumption or the stereotype is that first all first gen students are students of color or they're low income, which is not the truth, right? We know that there are first-gen students across the income spectrum, across the racial and ethnicity spectrum. And so there's really no way to kind of like single out. I don't want to say single out, but you know, we just know that first-gen students come from all sorts of backgrounds. But we do know, one thing that we do know that is common is that first-gen students, they're the first in their families to go to college and they may need support, right? To help them navigate, especially a very large place like UT. And so what we did was establish a program for first-gen students on campus. So it's kind of taken the place of LLP, if you will, because again, LLP or Longhorn Link was a program for first-gen students. It just had that extra criteria of low income. But now first-gen doesn't have that low income criteria. All you have to do is be first-gen. Um, so what we do is we offer academic and success coaching or transition coaching. We have academic support and tutoring. Um, we, of course, will um, host lots of workshops and events to engage um, first-gen students, uh, kind of give them that college 101 hidden curriculum that a lot of first-gen students don't have access to, um, those sorts of things to kind of help encourage their retention here at UT and, of course, their eventual graduation in four years. Awesome. Yeah. And so, and you mentioned, so this is like the first year that this, that first gen equity has been going on or. Yeah. Yeah. For folks who are familiar with campus, you may already know that UT has had kind of a, a broader first-gen initiative where uh, we do a lot of celebrating our first-gen students on campus and, um, you know, we do some engagement. But this is the first year that DDCE has launched First-Gen Equity, and it is a program specifically designed to kind of um, holistically address the things that first-gen students may be experiencing. It's kind of like we present all of these services that they can have or that they, they may want to take advantage of, but they're not forced to do it, right? So we have tutoring if they want it. You know, we have mentoring if they want it. 
Um, we have the transition coaching if they want it, those sorts of things. So the student can engage as much or as little as they would like. The idea is that they know that there's someone or an office dedicated to their experience here on campus. And so it's kind of like just a, a place they can go if they feel like they want to connect in that way. Definitely. And this is this something that a student has to sign up for or apply for or is just like kind of it's there and they can go? Well, we do want them to sign up so that we know who they are, but it's not like we do any work. We don't do any like some of the programs on campus have cohorts, right, where they're like, you're in this cohort. So no, a student at any point of their collegiate journey can come to our office and say, hey, I heard about this program and I'd like to be a part of it. And then we would just have them fill out more like an information sheet like, so that we know who they are, what major they are, what college, and then they could be a part of it. There's nothing that disqualifies them from services. So yeah. Fantastic. So this is something that even our current students can definitely take advantage of. So if anybody's listening. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Great. And this, honestly, this topic, anything that has to do with first gen is, is always like very near and dear to my heart, because personally, I know I've mentioned this a hundred times on this podcast that I myself am a first generation student. So navigating college was was so difficult, so difficult, like the application process and then being accepted and then like, okay, housing and financial aid and all that. And that I had nobody, nobody that I could reference and be like, I couldn't ask my sister. I couldn't ask my mom. I couldn't ask my dad. Nobody went to college. So they didn't know how to help me. They didn't even know how classes worked because I remember whenever my Whenever I told my my dad that I was taking a summer class, he's just like, why are you failing your classes? I'm like, I'm not like, I just need to take this class to make sure that I'm eligible for my scholarship for the whole year. He's like, no, because the only reason you'd be taking summer courses is because you're failing. I'm like, that's not how college works. But yeah, no, I mean, it's that this sounds like a really fantastic program. And, and I'm glad that that, you know, UT is still, you know, putting in the resources to help students like this because i think more and more every single year more and more students will be the first in their families to go because i, I think that um there's more of like a i don't know how to explain it like it, i don't know if it's like a culture or or like that where people are, are putting an effort to show students that that these opportunities are actually accessible that going to college is actually possible mm -hmm. Um, in the first place, because I think that a lot of would be first gen students like in the past just wrote off college entirely because they're like, I don't have anybody that's going to be able to help me. I don't know how any of this works. I won't be able to afford it. I'm just going to go straight to, you know, working. And that's fine. I've always said that, like, if that's what you want to do, then that's great. But I think that more and more as like people start to realize that, that there are resources for first gen students. And then there are possibilities for you to be able to afford college and to be able to navigate it and everything that there's going to be more, there's going to be a much bigger influx of, of those students coming in. I totally 100% um, agree with you. Um, yeah, I think for many of the students, especially incoming students, the earlier you can get in front of them, the better. And I think UT has always done a great job of that, you know, making sure that first gen students know, you know, the, how to apply, right? But I think for many of our students, even the, the most academically prepared student, there's this whole other piece, right, of like just knowing how college works, right? Kind of like your dad, you and your story about your dad, like knowing that you can go to summer school and it not be because you failed, right? Or 
you know, going to tutoring and that doesn't necessarily mean you're failing, right? It's just mean that you're being proactive and you want to get ahead of things or, you know, going to the importance of going to office hours. And, you know, if you are having a challenge in class, knowing that that's even an option, like, oh, I can go talk to the professor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think that, you know, sometimes people are not thinking about those little things that could really get in the way and be a barrier for students and their success at a place like UT, you know, like not, you know, knowing like a lot of my students who are first gen students, you know, let's say they didn't do well on an exam or they're not doing well in the class. Many of them think that they just have to sink with the ship, right? They, they, they don't know that they have the option to drop a class unless somebody has like, you know, pulled them to the side and say, Hey, you know, you can drop this and try something else or, you know, or, even if they do know about dropping, you know, they may not know how that might impact their financial aid or, you know, there's all these things that, you know, unless somebody is telling you or unless you have someone who's had the experience, like a parent or a sister or a brother, like you were mentioning, that, again, become a barrier for students who are first gen and just don't know that it's a thing. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, this, I think, is a good transition into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, you mentioned that the program's fairly new. I don't know. Have you had experience or have you had a chance to work with like a student uh, that like kind of sticks out in your head where you're just like, I'm really proud of where where they're at or or how they're doing in this? So many. I have I have like how much time do you have? I have so many I mean, students that are like doing so well now. My favorite story to tell is actually a student from Longhorn Link. And his name is Joseph Gallardo. And he actually came to UT as a transfer student. Okay. So he wasn't a first time in college freshman. He was a transfer student, I believe from San Antonio. So he transferred from like Alamo College. And, you know, he was like, you know, UT was always my dream. But in high school, I was like bottom quarter. You know, I wasn't eligible. I was in top 10%. So I decided to go to community college and just kind of like work my way up. And here I am at UT. But this student was so dedicated. The first thing he did was connect with our office in Longhorn Link, right? Because he was a first-gen student. You know, he was one of our poster students. Like, you know, everything that you talk about the program is supposed to do, he was like there. He's like workshops. He was like meeting with his advisor. He would come, show up, you know, <laughs> to his appointments, anything that we asked him to do. And, you know, one day he came in and he said, you know, I want to be an attorney. And I was like, that's perfect. You know, UT doesn't really have pre-law, but, you know, we'll do what we can to get you those experiences so that you're ready. You know, do that if that's your choice, right? And he was working directly with another colleague of mine, DeLawrence Dean, who's now at UC San Diego. But between the, really, it was DeLawrence who was helping to really shepherd him. Um, but then he was like, he came back and he was like, I know what law school I want to go to. And we're like, okay, great. You know, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to Harvard. And we were like, okay, yeah, absolutely. You know, we were like, what we got to do to get to Harvard? Well, he's like, well, you know, I'm doing well in class. So he was doing well at UT. He had a great GPA, but we know it takes more than that. You got to take the LSAT. You got to, you know, get prepared. What he did is he ended up applying to the Archer program, the Archer Fellows program. And he got in. Um, he ended up going to work for the Supreme Court in D.C. for his Archer Fellowship. Of course, you know, got that experience working um, directly with the justice and clerks. And after his Archer Fellow program, he graduated from UT. He went and worked for a, a small like law, local law firm for a while. And then guess what? 
he applied to law school and he got into Harvard. And today he is a professor at the University of North, uh, New Mexico in their law school. And he is doing amazing. So he's like my favorite story to tell. And what people don't know is that when he first transferred to UT, he was commuting from San Antonio on the Megabus. So this is when the Megabus first came about, right? And it was a craze. It was like super cheap to do it. But he was commuting every day from Austin to San Antonio in San Antonio to Austin on the mega bus. Talk about dedication because he couldn't afford to stay in Austin and on campus. So he was commuting from home and just that type of grit, perseverance is just, I mean, it just brings tears to my eyes now. And to see where he is now from where he was, like a student who wasn't even admissible at one point to a student who finally got in and didn't let housing become a barrier, you know, and just kept, forging ahead and he, you know, accomplished his dream of going to Harvard Law School, becoming a licensed attorney, and now a professor at the University of New Mexico. Hats off to Joseph. I hope he hears this because he's an amazing role model. He's done some, I've, you know, I've come across a couple of op-eds um, in the Washington Post that he wrote about being first gen, you know, about being Latinx and his story. So he's just amazing. He really should be one of our next outstanding young Texas exes, but you know, I'm just putting that out in the atmosphere. Hopefully somebody from Texas exes is listening. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Uh, he deserves it. I mean, wow. Yes, he does. Wow. I could not imagine. And I know that drive from San Antonio because I, I currently reside in San Antonio for those that don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I know in going to visit family that I 35 traffic can get crazy. Uh, on Every a bus, day. Though, <laughs> on a on bus like bus. that. He has no control over that. That's when the when the bus goes it goes that's that's incredible and he was working he was holding on a job because you still got to pay for the meg bus yeah <laughs> um, it was just like just such a heartwarming and inspirational story that i love to tell about his about him you know it's not even about us it's about him because you know i feel like as a university and program you know you can give students you know all the resources and support but it really is still up to them right and them taking advantage and utilizing what we have to then, you know, take them where it is they're trying to go. So, you know, it really was about him and not about us. But it's just a real huge story I just love to tell about a first gen student who has done it, you know. Thanks for sharing that. That's really kind of inspirational, honestly. Really quickly before we, we close off, I also did kind of want to ask about the future. So how, how do you see or how do you hope that first gen equity will, will advance? in the future here at UT? I just want our program to be a part of the larger effort, the larger story of how UT really um, promotes the social, you know, and academic mobility of students who are the, fir the first in their families to go to college. So what, how I see First Gen really contributing in practical ways on campus is first, helping the university reach 70% graduation in four years for first-gen students. Because right now we know we've met that milestone as a university, but there are still these segments and subpopulations of students who haven't quite gotten there. Um, and so first-gen students are one of those categories. And so we're not far off, but you know we wanna be a part of you know, helping students reach that milestone. We also want to continue to help students create legacies for their families and 
if they are the first in their families, that they won't be the last, that, you know, they'll inspire a sibling or even a parent to go back to college and pursue you know, their dreams and to change the, you know, economic um, story of their families, right? And to build generational wealth and kind of close up some of these wealth gaps that we tend to still be struggling with even in 2021. So, you know, I just want um, students to, and lastly, I think I just want students to be able to say somebody at UT cared about them because I think the narrative, and you know this, and admissions, we at UT have to constantly negate or go against the narrative that UT is like a place where you're just a number, right? That nobody there will really care or nobody will notice you. And that's so not true. You know, I feel like if we reach students early enough, they will be able to see that they're actually dedicated professionals and individuals on this campus that really do care about their success here at UT and beyond. And so I want those first-gen students to feel like like there's just somebody who, who cares and who's invested just as much as they are in their success here on campus and after. 100%. No, that's a fantastic goal to achieve for sure. Well, that brings us at the end of the podcast. And Dr. Lewis, you're a veteran of this podcast at this point. So you already know that at this point, I allow my guests to plug whatever they want. So the floor is now yours. What is on your heart? What is on your mind? Oh my goodness. We have so much going on in LCAE in particular. We have study abroad programs, believe it or not. We have, um, you know, even with the pandemic, Hopefully it's going to slow down enough for our students to be able to go on their May Masters in, in May. But we have, I think, an event today for Dubai and Abu Dhabi trip. Our first gen equity program that I just talked about, they have something going on every week. And so I would encourage um, the listeners to just, all you have to do is go to UT's homepage and then search engine, put in first gen equity. And the homepage will come up for our website and there is a little, like, little uh, calendar where you can get engaged if you'd like. We're trying to move to more of an in-person format because you know students are saying that that's what they want. They're tired of being behind screens. So we have some in-person events, but we do have a couple things that are open to the public via Zoom. So whether you're a high school student or a college student, you can connect with us in that way. And yeah, First Gen Week is actually coming up the week of November 8th. There's gonna be a university-wide celebration to celebrate First Gen students. So stay tuned or keep your eyes and ears peeled for information about that. The social media channels for UT, um, the website, we'll all be promoting those events pretty soon. So just keep checking and you should be able to pull up some information about that as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for all that information. And thanks so much just in general for being on here again. I had a lot of fun. One of our longest podcasts. Yeah. It was fun. I know. We went over our time, Sam. I'm so sorry. It's all good. Honestly, the more content, the better. But it was a lot of fun talking to you, Dr. Lewis. Thanks so much for being on again, coming on again. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Of course. Well, that brings us to another end to another episode of Texas 512. This has been Sam Torres. Stay cool, stay hydrated, and hook them horns. Bye.